The title of my message this morning is Extravagant Giving. And I just want to uh, recap a couple of things that have taken place in the last two weeks that I th- hopefully everybody's aware of. Um, first thing was you should have all received, if you are, uh, have given to Victory Christian Church in the past year, you should have received your 2014 uh, giving statement. And then also, hopefully, we sent out a letter from me to everybody in the church. Um, I believe we mailed it on Thursday. How many of you got a letter from the church? All right, good. The rest of you, I'll try to make clear what I'm talking about a little bit. Um, In the letter, I shared a number of things. And I want to just recap a little bit of what I shared. Um, I believe the Lord has showed me really emphasizing in my own life, and usually when he does that to me, it's something I'm supposed to share with the church and the body of Christ. And I believe the reason he's, he's challenging me with it, and I believe the reason that he's supposed to have me challenge us with it, is every year, and 2015 will be no different, our life and our society and our culture is getting more challenging. And it's going to get darker and darker and darker. And we are called to be the light. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ. We are called to be the salt of the world. So we are called to be different from the world, even as we live in the world, we're not really to be part of it. And the two things that God has really been convicting me of one is, I need to be in the Word more intentionally. You know, the Word gives life. The truth is what sets us free. The answers to all of life's issues are in the Word, and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. You know, we can learn from other men and other women in our groups, and that's awesome, but the real teacher that brings it to life gives it power in our lives is the Holy Spirit. And I believe that I know in my life, and I believe for all of us in the church, I believe the Lord wants us to know Him better. He wants our intimacy level with Jesus to go up because we're going to need it. But mostly because He wants to love on us and He wants us to love Him. So I believe that reading the Word, being in the Word... to to allow the Holy Spirit to really draw us into a more intimate relationship with Christ. And then the second thing was to be better stewards of what God entrusts to us, especially in the area of finances. Uh, I personally, without being doom and gloom, think our economy is destined for a crash. And I believe it's one of the things that God is going to allow to happen and use to draw people to himself. And it's going to give the church an opportunity to step up and be the church, to minister to people in their areas of need, to be able to not live and walk in the kind of fear that the world's going to be experiencing as things get more difficult and get darker. So in the letter that I wrote, I encouraged you to take that giving statement, look at it, and allow the Lord to use that giving statement not just for tax purposes, but to cause you to search your own heart and say, you know, Lord, how did I do last year? Am I doing what you wanted me to do with what you've entrusted to me? And then use that giving statement and pray over it and ask the Lord, Lord, what would you like me to do next year in 2015? What do you want to challenge me with? And I believe he will challenge us to give more generously in every area of our time and our talents, our spiritual gifts, as well as our treasures, our finances. I shared a little bit about the mission statement, the mission of Victory Christian Church, and I hope everybody knows this. And if you don't, that's my fault, because I should be mentioning it and speaking it 
continuously. Victory Christian Church, the primary mission, the primary reason we believe that we even exist is to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. Really, that scripture from John 10.10 is almost another way of saying the Great Commission. We are to go and make disciples of all nations, starting in our neighborhoods and expanding into a greater community and eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why missions is such a focus of this tiny church. We feel that we have an obligation to fulfill that mission. And in all of that is to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. Practically, what does that look like? Well, if you've looked in our lobby, you will see three pictures over on the wall by the water, water fountain with three words on those. One word on the one picture says connect, another one says grow, and another one says serve. And that is the process that we hope to see everybody going through as we discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. We want to provide all kinds of vehicles and opportunities to connect, first of all, with God. We want to see people come to salvation through Jesus Christ. We want to see our family members saved. We want to see our neighbors saved. You know, God's heart is that none should perish. Our prayer needs to be, God, give me your heart. So when I look at When I look at people, I see them dying and going to hell if they don't know you. And I care enough to do something about it. Because that's what's going to happen. There isn't a limbo. No one's going to get a second chance. And we're called to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus to help them discover him. And then to help them experience the life we need to grow. You know, we want to we wanna connect them with Christ, and then we want to connect them with the body of Christ. We need each other. I need you. You need the neighbor sitting next to you. We need one another to encourage one another, to build each other up, to strengthen us, to weep with each other, to pray with each other, to scream and holler and rejoice with each other. But we need each other. Fellowship. And then we need to grow. So we, we've offered all these opportunities to learn to grow in relationship, to know more about the Lord, to understand who He is, what it means. You know, everything we do, we do as best we can to make sure it's driving or being driven by our mission statement. You know, I hate programs for program's sake. They wear me out. They wear you out. Where's Casey out trying to get volunteers? It's just no fun. And usually it's not very productive. Churches are filled with programs. We have no programs that we do not feel fit and dry, are driven by our mission statement. We, we look at things, this facility, we didn't build a building to have a nice building. We built a building and, and made it the way it is so that it would better facilitate accomplishing our mission statement. Giving us more opportunity to have ministries so that we can, we can reach out to people that we can train up the people that God brings to us here. It's just part of our mission. It's part of our vision. Victory for kids. We didn't cancel Sunday school because we thought it was a good idea. We canceled Sunday school and developed Victory for Kids because it would be more effective, we felt, in accomplishing our mission. Adult Bible class. The academy classes. Youth groups. Life groups. Journey to freedom. 
one-on-one mentoring, small group mentoring, counseling. We do all these things to fulfill the commission that we believe God has laid on this church to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. And when I look at that and when I write that down, I go, oh my goodness, this is a big job. And then I'm reminded that church is about body ministry. We're all, our job as leaders, my job as a pastor is to do all that I can to train and equip the body to do the work of the ministry. To do what we want to do and feel like the Lord has called us to in our mission, we need everybody. Everybody. We need everybody's gifts and talents. God gave them to you to help fit in, build up, make us a more effective church. We need, it takes a sacrifice of your time. Now, some of you give so much time to, to ministries. Not because we want to wear you out, because we, you've grabbed a hold of the mission. You want to see people discover and experience Christ, and you're willing to disciple and train. Come over here at night, and sometimes... There's people in this building at 11.30 and 12 o'clock at night praying for our church. And I'm not one of them. God, it just excites me and still breaks my heart. This wasn't planned. (laughs) We need everyone. We need your time. We need your talents. We need the gifts. I don't care how insignificant your gift is. If you believe that, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Your gift is necessary for us to fulfill our mission. And we need your finances. Guess what? Money is ordained by God to be a tool to build the kingdom of God. It's not an evil thing. Matter of fact, I like finances. They're not that evil unless I love it. And it becomes an idol in my life. We need it to do what God's calling us to do. And as long as we're good stewards of what he gives to us, it's going to expand the kingdom. And he's going to bless it. You know, one of the things we did this year, by faith as the eldership, we increased our missions giving. I read through that list of missions. You know, this this relatively small church, we give $2,200 a month just on a monthly basis to these ministries. That's $26,400 a year that we give just to those ministries. And because of your giving... We sent out a whole lot of other ministries and missionaries just from this church with thousands of dollars more coming from the body of Christ to spread the gospel. We increase our giving proportionately to TrueBridge to help establish TrueBridge and the network of churches that we're involved with in planting other churches. You know, the number one way of seeing people getting saved in this country is through new church plants. And people go, God, there's churches on every corner. Yeah, but not good ones. Not ones that are spreading the truth of the gospel clearly. Not ones that are making lives, seeing lives changed by the power of God, the word of God. By planting churches, it is the quickest way to see people come to Christ. So we give to that. I shared a little bit in the letter. Probably scared a few people. Um, You know, as God blesses us, you know, I get so excited to see all these young kids because I got young families and young mothers and young fathers. And they bring a life and a vitality. 
And the, the statistics say it's not that normal for these young families to, to serve God. The, the percentage of 18-year-olds that the church loses when they go away to college is horrible. Horrible. But you know what? When they do come in with all of their kids, the first place a facility becomes way too small and inadequate is the nursery, the classrooms. And if you've not volunteered in the nursery, go for it. And you'll discover what happens. And that's awesome. And, and we're not saying we've got to tear down walls tomorrow, even though we did that this summer. But we, don't, we need to think forward. And as leadership, we are thinking forward. You know, we're in very preliminary thinking about what are we going to need to do, Lord? You've got to show us if we need to add on, if we need to do something. And to that end, we have over $145,000 in a building fund. Praise God. He's faithful. But all of those things, all of this ministry, all of it takes all of us to be involved in a big way. It's a big calling. And it's a big job. And it's one that we need to all take seriously. Everyone doing their part is critical. It's critical. Now, we could spiritualize this and say, God doesn't need anybody. True. God doesn't need my money or yours. True. God will do whatever he wants. True. But what he seemed to have wanted to do was use the local church to be his hands and feet. I don't know. It might not be the blessed plan he could have came up with, but it's the one he chose. And I think one of the reasons he chose it is because it blesses the church when we're involved in doing the work that he lays before us. It brings joy to his heart as a father, but it brings blessing into my life and to your life. I mean, gal, when you get a chance to minister to someone, you get a chance. I got to pray with a young girl a couple of weeks ago to accept Christ who didn't even know how to pray. Doesn't know anything about the Bible. And I got to do that because I was here at the church. We have a facility. The reputation of this church, the reputation of you people. Yeah, some people still think we're a cult. Praise God. We're doing something right. But they know we care. They know we help people. This particular person wasn't somebody who came from our church. What a privilege it is. And for each one of you, if you get that opportunity, doesn't it just bless your socks off? Bless your socks off. wonder where that came from. (laughs) Doesn't it just cause something to rise up in you and say, thank you God that I got to be part of what you just did. And most of what happens, you and I don't get to see because it's happening. We're planting seeds, we're watering, we're fertilizing. We're part of ministries in Africa and in Mexico and in Thailand, all over the world. We're part of that and things are happening and part of it's going to the account of Victory Christian Church. Amen. God, that's exciting. And all we have to do is be obedient and give back to the Lord financially what he's given to us. Awesome opportunities. So I've got a, a few, I've got four questions that I want to answer, or at least attempt to answer. First one's this. Why do Christians in general find it so hard to give financially to God's work? 
through the local church. This statistic, I believe, is pretty accurate. They say, the statisticians and the pollsters, that the percentage of Christians that tithe is between 2.4 and 2.8%. That means if we lined up 100 Christian family units, almost three of them tithe. Now, I'm not, this isn't a sermon about harping about tithing, so you can relax. But that's amazing. I want to share with you that uh, I asked Cindy to give me an estimate of what she thought we might be as far as tithers in this church. And the number we came up with was somewhere between 30 and 35%. The good news is we're kicking butt on the national averages. The bad news is 65 to 70% of us are not doing that. That's sad. And the reason it's so sad is we are missing out on the blessings and provisions of God. Because it's His heart to bless us. As we sow, we will reap. I mean, you can go out there and plow up all the acres you want and you don't put any seed in the ground. Guess what you're going to get? Dirt. And sometimes we wonder, where, how, how are we opening the door to the enemy? How, how, come he's ra- how come he's raising havoc in our lives? With our families? With relationships? With my bank account? And we're not giving generously. I think there's a million excuses. So my first question was, why don't Christians give in general to their local church the way they could? Well, I believe, first of all, there's... uh, (laughs) I've heard about every excuse you can imagine, and I used to give just about everyone you can imagine. I mean, well, I'd tithe, but we pay taxes. Really? You you pay taxes? You're the first person I ever met that did that. I, I promise not to do sarcasm. Well, I sort of promise not to do sarcasm. I pay taxes. You know, I could tithe, but we're planning on a family vacation. Sweet. I tithe, but you've got to understand, I'm on a fixed income. You have an income? Praise God. Are you giving Him thanks for that? Are you returning a portion back to Him out of that income He's giving you? I could go on. You've heard all the excuses too. You've made up a lot of them yourselves. I know you have, because I did. But it comes right down to it. There's, there's two or three things that are really scary. Selfishness, disobedience, and fear are three reasons we don't give generously to the local church. I want, I want, I want. You know, I go into the grocery store in Hy-Vee this last week. If I would just follow the list, it wouldn't get quite so bad. But I see things I like. Toilet paper costs $14 for a small package. Can you believe that? But I go through and I get these few plastic bags and I write a check out for $175. I whine and complain, but hey, I don't think much of it. I got to eat. Ever wrote a check out to a church for $175? A lot of you have wrote a check out with more zeros on it than that. A lot of us haven't even come close. Why? Provision. Priority. What are we thinking? What is the church as a whole thinking? I don't mean just us. I mean the church. 
God has given us a mandate, a mission, the co-mission as church, the church, his church, his universal church, and 2.8% tithe. I think one of the reasons is confusion about who owns what. It's all God's, right? 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 Well, maybe. It's all God's. You know, if I went through here and I, I, I promised you, I promised you, I, I, make, I make a promise that, you know what, if you show up every week, I'm going to give you a $100 bill, but make sure you bring a $10 bill along because that's all you got to give me for it in return. Would you come? Would you want my $100 bill? God just says, I, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven if you're obedient, and I'm going to give you a blessing you can't imagine. It's all mine anyway. I'm just going to ask you to, out of obedience and love and for the care of others, you give some back. You know, the gospel message is all about God's generosity. Did you ever think of it that way? Probably the most memorized scripture in all the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave. He loved the church so much that he gave his life for it. The gospel is a picture of the generosity of God. What does he ask us to do in return? Be generous in giving back. Matter of fact, if you go through the scriptures, we've talked about this before, there are so many scriptures dealing with materialism and generosity and the blessings that go with it. So when we give, it's a response to his goodness. It's a response to his thanks. You know, I've been really challenged to, as I think about what has God blessed me with? Well, salvation, that's a big deal. I have a destiny and purpose in life, and there's a whole bunch of people running out, around out there with no purpose whatsoever. Grace. Grace. Abundant grace. Wow, thank you, God, that there's Grace. Your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, God. And that's before I even get to thank you for the house I got to sleep in last night. I have a bed. Most of the world doesn't have one. I got in my van and drove her to church. Thank you, God. Most of the world doesn't have a van or a vehicle. Thank you, God. I have food in my stomach and I got to drink eight cups of coffee. <laughs> Most of the world doesn't get to do either one of those. Thank you, God. Start thinking about what God blesses us with. If we believe, it's all His in the first place. But most of the time, or oftentimes, people get confused and think, it's mine, I earned it, and I'm going to keep it. What does He desire from us? For all that He does for us? Well, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and then it's quoted in Mark 12, verse 30, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And it's interesting, I, I you know, so often, I, maybe you're not like me when it comes to these things, but I read that and I think, okay, I, I got to love the Lord my God with all my heart, okay, I can, I can get that sort of. With all my mind, okay, I can, I can get that. Um, with all my soul, my mind, will, my emotions, I can get that. And then he comes up with all your strength. I'm in trouble. It doesn't mean muscles. 
That's not what it means. The rabbinical teaching of the Hebrew word that's translated strength there means this. Worship God with all thy possessions. Your mind, your will, your heart, and all that you have. Has nothing to do with my muscles or lack thereof. He says, worship me that way. That's what I want. That's what I want in return. But Lord, my bank account, really, can he not fill it? Does he not know our needs? God wants a total commitment from us. Doesn't mean he's going to take it all. He just wants to know that we give it to him. And that's all. Second question was, how much should I give? Now, I could make a bunch of sermons on tithing, but i got to be really straight with you on this. I, I don't understand that it's a legalistic requirement. I don't believe it's a legalistic requirement at all. So I have a hard time standing up here and saying you need to tithe. But the reality is the principle goes way beyond 10%. It's a principle that we need to look at. You know, we could say the tithe. You know, God has encouraged us, commanded us to give in proportion to what we earn. So I don't care who makes the least income in here and who makes the highest income in here. We all give proportionately. And God happened to pull the number out of the air 10%. And in God's mind, and under the law in the Old Testament, he picked that number and said, this is what I would like you to give. Because it will be a good heart check. I'll know where you're at. And you will be blessed abundantly. Now we can look at the Old Testament. Well, I'm going to read um, Malachi 3. And some of you are probably already getting ready with your reasoning that that's Old Testament. Well, it is, because that's where it's found. Will a man rob God? No, yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In the tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. The whole nation of you are under a curse because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there would be food in my house. Test me in this. This is the only place in Scripture that you will find God says, test me in this. And you can say this is Old Testament if you want to, but God is saying, this is my character. This is who I am. Test me in this. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't let Old Testament, New Testament confuse you here. This is who God is. Test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. What is he saying? Bring it to the storehouse. And specifically in context, he was referring to the storehouse at the temples where the ministry and the worship took place. I believe the storehouse in contemporary Christianity and this generation, this, this time is the local church. Bring your offering to the local church. Why? So there will be provision for the work of the ministry. 
In the Old Testament, the primary provision was to feed the priests and make sure they had what they needed. I believe the principle goes way beyond that. It's bring your provision to the warehouse, to the local church, that there will be adequate provision for whatever I call you as a church to do. And the bigger that pile of provision gets, I believe the bigger we are going to be in His plan to extend the kingdom. So we need not be ashamed, but we're not going to hoard. God doesn't want any storehouse to hoard. He doesn't want individuals to hoard. He doesn't want churches to hoard. Test me in this. And not only will you be blessed, he says, all the nations are going to look at you and say, wow, they're blessed. I really believe that as things start to unravel economically in this country, people are going to look around and they're going to be in horror and fear and they're going to look for somebody that's at peace and that can maybe help them. And that needs to be the church. So we give proportionately. We're called to give according to needs. If you look in Scripture, you'll see oftentimes when there was a special need, it was like that principle, give according to need, almost, almost surpassed the proportionate giving. Just a quick example, when we had a need to remodel the, all these rooms that are back here, tear down walls, put up walls, do all these things, we announced we had a special need. Hopefully, that wasn't your tithe being transferred to that. But we, you gave abundantly. The church gave abundantly. We paid for all of that in one offering. Almost all of that in one offering. Amazing. We have a special need for somebody in the body of Christ here that's hurting. They're going through an issue. They need help. Man, we make, an, we make an announcement and the offering is there. Ben Goodman says, when I handed him his check from our offering, he says, God, you guys are ridiculously generous here. I just love hearing that ridiculously generous. I would like that to be what they would describe every single family unit in this building. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how it works for you, but you are ridiculously generous. And the answer is simple. I serve and work for the king. And he has promised that I will never be without. He will meet all my needs. He will provide all I need. I work for the king. My dad always asked me, Mom, don't tell him this. He said, how the heck does that little church pay you a salary? <laughs> then this week he took it further. What do you make anyway? <laughs> so I told him exactly what I make. And he goes, no way. And I said, yeah, way. And we have a full-time pastor of ministries. We have a part-time associate pastor. And we have an office manager that we pay. And we pay our cleaning people, and we pay to get our lawns mowed. And he says, how do you do that with that little church? I says, Dad, we work for the king. And, he, and now he knows we're nuts. <laughs> I, can't, I won't go there. It would have been funny, though. <laughs> Give according to your need. Give proportionately. And thirdly, give according to your blessings. You know, throughout Scripture, we see all kinds of offerings in addition to their tithes. And they would give a, a, a praise offering, you know, an offering at the end of the harvest. They would give all these offerings. And these offerings are given above and beyond their tithe. How much should I give? It's between you and the Lord. 
but I kind of look at it this way, and, and you know, I'm not quoting scripture and verse here, so you know that, but if 10% was what God said under the law, we're no longer under the law. We are under grace. And he who says that he will write the, the law in our hearts. And he says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and all of thy possessions. I think 10% is a nice target, but I sure hope you don't let it stop you there. Does God really need my money? Question three, uh-uh. No, he doesn't. Why? I already explained. He wants us to be involved with the work, building the kingdom. And sometimes I think it was the craziest plan he could have come up with. But he knew that. I mean, would you trust you to give of your time, talents, and finances to build the kingdom? I wouldn't trust me. But God trusts us. And he knows if we grab the reality of what's taking place, what he's asking, we'll be more than happy to give generously. I'm not a word, faith, prosperity guy. I think most of you know that. But he will prosper us because the Bible says so. He will bless us because the Bible says so. He wants to meet our needs. And a matter of fact, he says, I will give you exceedingly abundantly more than you can imagine. Don't just put that in the area of material goods, but don't eliminate it either. Does God need our money? No, he doesn't. And I've got a whole bunch left in my sermon and less time than I want. I'm going to just throw a few things out at you quickly. I, I stole these five points from a pastor named Brian Kluth, K-L-U-T-H. And if you want to go online and look at him up, there are some amazing videos of him giving teachings on giving and giving generously. He's not a word, faith, prosperity guy. And some of you are going, what do you keep talking about them for? You've never heard of it. Praise God. I'll leave it at that. But he says, you know, there are reasons that God wants us to be a part of this because he doesn't need our money. And some of these reasons, and I'm going to just give you five of them real quick. One, giving to God allows us to see God as our provider. When we give unto him generously, we get to see him fulfill his promises and realize he's our provider. He's not our employer. You work for somebody maybe for yourself. And we all figure, well, I work hard, I earn my money. No, God is the provider of your job. He's a provider of everything that we have in spite of us. He's our provider. We want to give to him. All I have, all I ever will have, all I am, all I ever will be, it's all because of God. And boy, when I think of that, it makes you think, i got to get on my knees and pray, God, make me a generous giver. A generous giver. I, I need to sow and sow and sow. Because you want me to, I get to be part of the kingdom. And that mission statement means something to me. The second thing he says, it helps us to overcome our financial fears and worries. I want to take just a couple minutes. Because if you're, if you're out here, I remember when I was being convicted that Cindy and I need to start tithing. I didn't like that at all. Fear immediately rises up. And I know standing up here, there are some of you out here that are struggling financially big time. I get that. I know that. To think that bothers God, I don't think he loses any sleep over that. 
Matter of fact, I think he says, you know, hey, I've got the answer. I've given it to you. Just do it, and the windows of heaven will be opened. You know, there was a time way worse than what we're living in. God had prophesied there was going to be a drought and there was a famine in the land, and Elijah comes walking up to this, this village and he sees a lady at, and he says at the well, he says, would you get me a glass of water, a drink of water? And she says, sure. And he says, oh, by the way, I'm really hungry. Would you, would you bring me a small cake that I can eat? And her response was, well, I'd like to, but Mike's paraphrase is, where you been? There's a drought. There's a famine. As a matter of fact, I'm going home. I'm going to use the last bit of flour I've got and I'm going to use the last bit of oil I've got, and I'm going to make one little piece of bread, and then my son and I are going to eat it and die. And then here's what he said. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have, from what you have, and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord gives rain on the land. What a wonderful principle. And her response, she went and did, as Elijah told her. There was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run out in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. We have the word of the Lord spoken by God. And he promises us he will meet our needs. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the days that we're going to be on this earth. He knows it all. He knows what you need. It's all under his control. All we need to do is take his word and live by it. Live it out. Walk it out. I'm going to just throw this sentence out and think about it. We need to make spiritual decisions when our generosity comes into play, not financial decisions. We need to make spiritual decisions, not financial decisions. I could give you a number of testimonies, but one that I'll share right now, when Cindy and I felt God calling us into the ministry and it was recognized by the, the leaders and the elders of the church at the time and the congregation says, yeah, we see that calling on Mike's life. Cindy and I at home getting out the pencil and the paper and the calculator and looking at my Relco check. I was their sales manager at the time. We just built a, our log home, had three kids. We were living the dream. And God, are you serious? 50% pay cut? Really? We crunched the numbers and we crunched the numbers and crunched the numbers and we couldn't even lie and cheat and try hard enough to make it work. I went to the bank. I was so full of, faith, full of faith and I said to the banker, Dave Kelp, I said, Dave, I'm going to probably have to refinance. Will you refinance me? And back at that time, you couldn't hardly get a loan. And if you did, it was for umpteen percent. He said, yeah, I'll finance you. As we prayed and as the elders confirmed that I was to, to be the pastor, we made a spiritual decision because the financial one would have been no way. We didn't have to refinance. We paid off our new home in 10 years and we've raised three kids and God's been faithful. Didn't make us rich financially, but he's made us rich in so many other ways. And as the Bible says, I am rich in Christ. 
God, there's no amount I could give that you can't give more. God, make me a generous giver. God, what if God told you, if you would write a check out today for $10,000, God would say, I'm going to save your family members. How quickly would you write out a check for $10,000? And if you didn't have it in the bank, you would go out and sell everything you had for the salvation of that family member. Now, I'm not saying we need to do that. We don't have to go sell anything unless God tells you to. But I'm saying we need to have that heart of generosity towards the Lord as He exhibited His generosity in giving His only Son to die on a cross, of giving you and I a life, a promise of eternal life. God wants to bring order to our finances. Good thing the Super Bowl is not at noon, huh? Bring your order to your finances. You know, if I stood up here, would there be anybody kind enough if you said, I came up here and I'm just all dressed up and looking good and walking around. (laughs) Look at that doofus. He's as dense as we thought he was. (laughs) And you'd say, there's there's something wrong. (laughs) Nice styling. I'm styling. You'd say, hey, do something about that. And I'd go, okay. And I mess with the buttons and I free. and I, and I look stupid when I get done trying the third time. And the, you know what? I'd say there's something wrong with the buttons and the buttonholes. No. There's nothing wrong with the buttons and the buttonholes. The order is out of alignment. If I just do it right, I look as good as this code will allow me to look. And that's the problem with our finances. We get it all out of alignment, not of order. God says bring the first fruits. One of those excuses I hear from people when I ask about their giving and their tithing, they'll say, geez, you've heard this line before, right? I run out of money when there's still month left. What's that got to do with your tithing, your giving? How many of you call up Uncle Sam and say, I'm sorry, <laughs> I ran out of money before the month ran out. I'm not going to pay any taxes. I hate to even make a a comparison between God and our government, but I think we worship our government more than we worship our God sometimes. First fruits. Throughout the Bible, the first fruits meant you give of the first of your income. And it's a statement, I'm trusting God for the rest. Get it in order. Release God's blessing in greater and greater ways. Giving to God generously helps fight that dragon of materialism. Anybody know that they can get up, caught up in materialism pretty easy? Or am I the only one? I hang around with guys or friends that have all the toys. Guess what happens after a short time? I want their toys. They get to go here, there, and everywhere around the world, and I want their vacation. And the next thing I know, I'm filled with greed and envy and materialism. Giving generously to God will fight that dragon. There's many warnings in Scripture. Luke 12, 15, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Man's life doesn't consist of abundance of his possessions. You all know about the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Another little phrase, if you'd like to write down another cute phrase. It's about standard of giving, not standard of living. If you make $1,500 a year, you make more money than 70% of the people on planet Earth. $1,500 a year. 
can we afford to give generously? And giving to God allows you to experience more joy. I could read a whole bunch of scriptures, but I just want to say with godliness, with getting in God's will, giving generously, he says, with godliness and there is contentment and there is peace. The last question I wanted to ask was why give to victory? So I'm going to ask you about six or seven questions really quick and in your mind, answer yes or no. Okay? Number one, do I benefit from the ministries of Victory Christian Church? Do I identify with the mission of Victory Christian Church? Can I connect with and relate to helping people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ? Can I embrace that? Can I run with that? Do I agree with the primary thrust of the message and the doctrine of Victory Christian Church? In other words, do I think they're whacked or do I kind of line, do they line up pretty good? Is victory proclaiming the truth of the gospel? Is victory doing what it can to fulfill the Great Commission? Do you want to see the ministry of Victory Christian Church grow and serve others? And is victory's church message one that our culture needs today? If you answered yes to those questions, and if you trust what I've shared here today is really from the Word of God, then I want to just encourage you and challenge you and exhort you for the glory of God to become even more committed, even more generous in the giving of your time, your talents, your spiritual gifts, and your finances. God has got a great big plan for this little church. And we all need to be on board together. A number of years ago, there was a teaching by Steve Gray out of the Smithton Revival. It was called The Power of All. And you look in Scripture, it says, when they were all in one accord, all in one place, they were all of one mind, and heaven opened up, and God did amazing things. Power of All. Everyone involved. There's a Scripture I didn't bother reading, but the last part of the Scripture said this, let us all excel in the grace of giving. Isn't that amazing? That's a scripture in the Bible. Let us all excel in the grace of giving. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I do, I, I do humble myself before you, God, and I pray, Lord, if there is anything I said that was condemning and not of your heart, God, that it would cause no damage in anybody here. But Lord, I pray that if what I shared today was your heart, I pray, God, that it will, it will birth a fire in each one of us. God, we will be challenged by your spirit. God, when you said, test me in this, God, I pray we test you and we discover just how amazing you are and gives us whole new revelation of how mighty our God is and how much he loves us. God, I pray that we would be a church that would be known truly as ridiculously generous, reaching out to those in need, reaching out to the poor, sending money around the globe, sending people doing all that we can to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. And God, I pray all this, that Jesus' name would be lifted up and you would receive all the glory and all the honor. Amen. Amen.